Well, how are we doing this morning? Doing well? Did you clean up your yard from this past week? <laughs> Who went trick-or-treating Tuesday in the snow? Oh boy, some of you. Well, we did too. In our neighborhood, evidently, people didn't come or thought it was canceled or something because my kids cleaned up. <laughs> our neighborhood, our neighbors were dropping handfuls in their bags. So I had to help them out with that, to take off some of the load right there. Hey, I, got a, I had a couple quick announcements. First, we have missionary cards out in the lobby. Uh, every year, we, we ask you as a church family to fill out these cards so we can send them over to our missionaries all across the globe. And they love, they love getting these handwritten cards. So they'll be out for the next three weeks, the 5th, the 12th, the 19th. Also, we have people who have had a, a large impact on this church family over decades. And they had passed just recently. And so we put out a rose bush for Rosemary Simpkins. So that's just kind of as you're walking in. And Rosemary is an amazing lady. She was a prayer warrior and she served and loved this church for, for many, many years. So there's a rose bush for her. And then for our dear, dear, dear Pastor Andy Huseman, we have a bench. So if you're walking in, you'll see a bench and a rose bush. That's why it's there. And I don't know, it's a reminder that, that people can finish well at ministry. I, he's an inspiration to me. And I love that man deeply. When he passed, that was hard. And I've missed him since. But I saw him go straight into, he was almost 90, and he passed. And I thought, you can continue to do ministry all the way to the end. So, okay, so that's out there if you want to just kind of look at that as you're walking in. Okay, trust is important to any relationship. Yeah? Trust is important to, to any relationship. And as relational creatures, we seek out people we can trust. It, it anchors our life. It, it matters to our lives that we have that person to call when you're having a bad day. You can call that person you can trust. We share our secrets with the people we trust. We share the most meaningful part of our lives with those people we trust. When you're having a bad day or you're discouraged or you're frustrated, you run to those people you trust. You lean on them. Right? And we ought to surround ourselves with trustworthy people, but human nature would tell us that because of flesh, because of the sin, those people who are closest to you might or at times might withhold information from you, maybe tell you one thing and do something else, maybe promise something and not come through, might not have your best interests at heart. Have you ever had your heart broken by somebody? They weren't trustworthy. Here's why I'm talking about this. Because I want to speak words of life this morning. I want, I want to encourage us. Listen, God can be trusted. Amen. David says that God is a rock, like a rock, right? God is a rock. He uses this imagery. He says, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. And then he repeats it later in the psalm. 
He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. God is a rock. And what David's saying is that when my life is being battered and I'm struggling, I've tethered myself to the one person who doesn't budge. God is a rock. Yeah. Now, this is the heavier, the heavier I wanted to go with carrying a rock in here. But I believe that when, when David was referring to a rock, he was thinking of a boulder, right? Probably looking a boulder on, the, on Mount Zion and saying, God is like that, that rock. Permanent. Permanence does not change. And that's what's true about rocks. <laughs> they don't change. If I take this rock and I put it out in the backwoods behind the church, and if you come back 50 years from now, this church might not be here. This whole neighborhood could look different. That person you're sitting next to might not be in your life anymore. But if you come back, you will see this rock. There might be some moss on it because no one's touched it for a while. But the rock did not change. And that's who God is. He does not change. And if I took a hammer to this rock and I beat on this rock with a hammer, the hammer's going to break before the rock. See, this rock is rock solid, right? And so is our God. God is a rock. And here's why it matters. We've been talking about in Obadiah how God is a covenant-keeping God. And, and the reality is when he makes a promise, he will always keep it. He always keeps his word. And so in Obadiah, I've been looking at this prophet. And if, if you have a Bible, you can turn it and open up to Obadiah. If you don't have a Bible, we provide one for you. It's in the chair in front of you. And I've given you the page number. You're going to want, you're going to, want to look at that page number because Obadiah is kind of an obscure book. I don't, know, I don't know if you can ever call a book of the Bible obscure. It's God's word. Amen? Amen? So all of it is relevant and applies to life. But we don't often read Obadiah. It's in, it's in the Old Testament. It's between Amos and Jonah. But I've given you the page number so you can turn there quickly. So we've been, we've been reading about Obadiah, and last week, just to kind of remind us, we talked about a sibling rivalry. We talked about how the Edomites, this is who Obadiah is prophesying against, the Edomites are descendants of Esau, and of course the Israelites are descendants of Jacob. And so what we have is two brothers, a family feud, sibling rivalry, two brothers' disagreements playing out in their descendants in their generations. Esau makes that boneheaded move and sells his birthright for a bowl of stew. Remember that? And so now the nation of Israel, Jacob's descendants, they're the promised people, God's chosen people. And the Edomites are nobodies. Forgotten. No one cares about Edomites. No one even remembers an Edomite. Who's an Edomite? But are we still talking about Israel right now? Is the whole world aware of Israel right now? That's how significant this is. And the Edomites, they never get over this. They hold on to this grudge. And so when Babylon comes, and that's what the time that Obadiah was writing, Babylon had just come and attacked Jerusalem and sacked it, just obliterated Jerusalem, tore down the temple, killed, pillaged, raped a bunch of Jews, when this was all going down, the Edomites, instead of helping their distant cousins, their distant relatives, instead they jumped in with the Babylonians. And Obadiah would say that as the Jewish people were fleeing from Jerusalem, right? 
trying, running for their lives, you had the Edomites waiting at the crossroads with their sharpened swords. And they attacked them, stole their stuff, and killed them. This is brutal. This is ugly stuff. We talked last week about how grudges are deadly. They're deadly, especially if we hold on to that grudge. Yeah? And so Obadiah is prophesying judgment on the Edomites. But he's also offering words of hope. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How the Jewish remnant will be restored. Okay, with that being said, look at verse 17 with me. There's only one chapter in Obadiah. Verse 17, but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It'll be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire, and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble, and they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and the people from the foothills possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. And the exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Okay, so what is Obadiah promising here? He's saying to the Jewish remnant that are now in exile that you will recover what was taken from you. But here's what's interesting, is the borders of what's promised to Israel. So I actually have this up on the screen, but I thought maybe you can't see this. So I printed some last night and I put it in your bulletin. So can you just pull out that sheet? This is considered Obadiah's map. So this prophet is, is prophesying that Israel will have this much land. And if you look at, if you notice the different shades of on that map, that, that's just showing land that was promised that they don't currently hold. Okay, So you see Gaza up there, you see the West Bank, you see portions of Jordan and Syria, even in, down into Egypt. So this is, in Obadiah, right, the land promised to the Israelites. Now, when the Jewish remnant returned from Babylon, they never recovered this much land. They don't currently have this much land. So, does that mean that the promise and the prophecy that was spoken in Obadiah wasn't fulfilled? Did God overpromise and underdeliver? Now listen, listen. No. No. What it means is that this hasn't been fulfilled yet. Yet, this is important to understand. This hasn't been fulfilled. So it hasn't been fulfilled yet because God is a rock. He does not change. What he promises, he always delivers. He's a covenant-keeping God. If he makes a covenant, he follows through. That is our God. Next question I need to ask is, does Israel have a claim on the land, on their land? Is it their land? Listen, promise to Abraham, the patriarch, this covenant was made by God. God said, I will establish. So this is God speaking this covenant to, to Abraham and his descendants. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations 
For a what? What are you reading there with me? Everlasting covenant? And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for a what? Everlasting possession. And I'll be, I'll be their God. See, everlasting, that's self-explanatory, isn't it? it? Everlasting means eternal, means forever. So here's what I want you to hear this morning. Listen, listen to me. It doesn't matter what the media says. It doesn't matter what Washington says. It doesn't matter the people who seem to have the loudest voices are saying. Because God says it here in the scriptures, because God says it, this, Israel, this land is Israel's. This is, this is the Jewish people's land. Decreed by God. It's an everlasting possession. Can you read that any other way? I mean, are you with me, church? And it frustrates me because we want to divvy up their land, but, but it's theirs. If any borders are talked about in God's word, it's, it's the borders that you're looking at on that map in your hand. It's decreed by God. This is God's land. And then Paul picks up on this. So this is not just something that's talked about in the Old Testament. No, Paul, who's a student of the Old Testament, understands the, the Old Testament, says, as regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards to election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God, referring to the Israel pe Israelite people, are irrevocable. Which, which means that what has been promised in the covenants are still in effect. So Paul's saying that the gospel is being spread across the globe. And it's reaching every tribe and every nation. That's the church age. The Gentiles are being brought in. But Israel still has a special place for God. And these promises are still in effect. So does God still care about Israel? Does he have a future plan for Israel? Does he have a future plan for Israel? Well, it would seem he would because Obadiah hasn't been fulfilled yet which means that Israel still does not control all the land promised to him, which means God's got some work to do in the future, and I'm excited to see it. Amen? Amen. Deuteronomy 30, verse 4 and 5, it's just throughout the Old Testament. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back, and he'll bring you back to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. And there's so much fulfilled prophecy around modern-day Israel. One of the prophecies that I don't know if we talk about a lot is it found in Isaiah chapter 66 that says, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? Just out of the blue, you got a nation. It seems like it's not possible. For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth? I've seen four pregnancies, four labors. When those labor pains come, the baby's coming. And there's no stopping that. It hurt when she went through. I felt that when she went through all of that, right, sweetie? 
I catch the imagery, though. He's saying, don't roll your eyes at me. She's just my poor wife. All right. Shall I, who caused to bring forth, shut the womb? No, the womb is ready to give birth. It's happening, says your God. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her and joy. All you who mourn over her. One day, that's exactly what happened. May 14th, 1948, this Jewish agency for Palestine declared, just announced the formation of Israel. He, he said, Israel is going to be a nation. Just like that, they became a nation. And this is what was said. The Nazi Holocaust, which engulfed millions of Jews in Europe, proved anew the urgency of the reestablishment of the Jewish state, which would solve the problem of Jewish homelessness by opening the gates to all Jews and lifting the Jewish people to equality in the family of nations. The outcome of that horrible Holocaust is the nation of Israel, which is a fulfillment of prophecy. And it happened in one day. Now you see the people returning back to the land, which is theirs. It's their land. There's other prophecy. We read in Zechariah, and this is all future prophecy for the nation of Israel. We read in Zechariah, On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and so the feeblest among them shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. I want to talk about future prophecy next week, judgment, and how God will defend Israel against the people who, are, who would seek to attack her. But that's for next week. But I want to talk about this. And I will pour out on the house of David. So this is future prophecy, has yet to be fulfilled. God has a future plan for Israel. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on, on whom they have pierced. Who is Zechariah talking about here? He's talking about Jesus. They shall mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child. This is the promised Christ, the Messiah. And, and they rejected him. But then they are going to turn away from their, the hardening of their hearts back to Jesus and weep bitterly over him as one who weeps over a firstborn. They're going to turn to Christ. They're going to turn to Jesus Christ. And Paul picks up on this too. So I'm trying to show you both the prophets and Paul are, are teaching the same themes. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Mystery as in some future fulfillment he's telling us about. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So what Paul's saying is that we're in the church age and, and the gospel is being spread and Gentiles are coming to Christ and God has a number out there and when the fullness of that number is met, things shift. We enter into the this time called the tribulation where God is going to work for, with Israel for seven years. He says, the deliverer will come. This is Paul's words. Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So currently, we have unbelieving Israel. Okay? Currently. Secular Israel, sometimes it's called. Unbelieving. But there is a future salvation. It's promised. Now I want, I want you to hear this. 
We, as believers who are followers of the word, who love God and read the promises and the prophecy of the prophets, we must stand with Israel. We must. And it doesn't matter what's being said. It doesn't matter what's popular. I mean, you can see the world is, is turning against Israel. It doesn't matter. We'll stand with Israel. God's calling and gifts to Israel are irrevocable. That's what Paul says. Okay, you're sitting here, and you're probably wondering, okay, what does this have to do with me? I, I get, I understand the importance of, of prophecy and talking about God's word. I mean, some of you, are you geeking out with me? I love coming across Obadiah, Obadiah's map because it just showed me how wide that land is. Like that, That's a lot of land. You geeking out with me? Okay with that? You're like, whoa, that's kind of cool. Or some of you sitting here going like, what is that? Okay, who cares? Like, what does that have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. Because when we read uh, the God of the scriptures and we learn who he is, we see that he's a covenant-keeping God. God is a rock, and he first always keeps his word. Isn't that significant? He keeps his word. If he says something, he'll deliver, and God makes promises. He makes promises to you. I have a series of questions in your notes. Does God make commitments or promises to you? Yes. Does God make mistakes? No. Does God forget or get busy, or is he selfish? Can outside circumstances affect God? Can God get a flat tire? Or the Lions football game go long and, and miss an appointment or something, right? Or does, does God make a mistake? No. And no outside circumstances can affect him. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at once. He can't get stuck in traffic. <laughs> so if God says he's going to do something, he is the promise keeper. And we have to pray the promises. This is important. You have to pray the promises that we read in the scriptures. So here, let me, let me give you some examples, okay? If you're feeling fear in your life, if you have fear in your life, maybe you got a bad report from the doctor, or maybe you're wondering about your marriage, or you're wondering about your kids, or you're wondering about your finances, you're wondering how things are going in life, and you just got fear inside of you, pray this promise. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. You can say, you know what? I know God is with me and I'm not afraid. Because if Almighty God is walking through life with me, I have nothing to fear. God is always with me. Pray this promise. Next, doubts. We can have all kinds of doubts. Your life might feel like it's falling apart. Or maybe you just look at this world and you're like, this world is screwed up. Amen? Amen. And you'll be like, wow, where, how is this ever going to get straightened out? And you can wonder, like, God, are you going to really follow through on your promises? This is one of my favorite verses. Pretty common, but it's so good. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your pass. See, I love this verse because 
it reminds me that I can't figure this out. Don't lean on your own understanding. You're not smart enough. Some of you think you're smart. I know it. I talk to you. You think you're smart. <laughs> but you're not smart enough. And you trying to grasp and take control of your world, it's not going to work. So don't lean on your own understanding. Just acknowledge God. And what happens is that, that path becomes straight. You know the steps you need to take. Yeah, that's a promise. And we can hold on to it. Despair. Some of you might just be really, really discouraged right now. Maybe you feel like everything's falling apart. Maybe you even feel like your life is ruined. Your life is ruined. That's real. People experience that kind of emotion, emotional heartache. I, I don't want to make light of this, but this last week, my wife, we were, I was trying to help my wife make dinner, and I made some muffins, and I forgot to put baking powder in it. So those are some dense muffins, I'll tell you. <laughs> and my, my wife was like, why didn't you follow the recipe right? And because of my brain, I know you teachers would have found me, I would have driven you teachers crazy in school. Because my brain, I just bounced all over. You know, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit. I bounced all over that thing and totally missed baking powder, okay? Man, those muffins were ruined. And maybe you think, and feel that, like, man, my life is like one of Nate's muffins. It's terrible. But Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things. Catch that? All. See, these are the promises that we can memorize and, and claim and, and pray the promises. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There's like a double promise in there. You've got a purpose in life and God's going to work it out for your good. And you know, by the way, those muffins tasted fine, okay? <laughs> I ate a few of them. <laughs> it doesn't surprise anyone. <laughs> I ate a few of those muffins. Maybe you're feeling weak. And I think sometimes we do. We have temptations, we have that flesh inside of us, and we just are feeling that, that strain of the world, and you're feeling weak, and maybe you're failing in a sin area over and over and over again, and you think, you know what, this is never going to change. Claim this promise right here, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted Beyond your ability. Catch that? Meaning, you're facing some difficulty or some struggle. Some sin is affecting you, bothering you. You're, through God's power, strong enough to overcome it. He'll provide you a way of escape so that you may endure it. So here's what that verse is teaching. When you're in the middle of a temptation... Right? Let's just say you're dealing with one of those people and you're upset, right? What he's saying is that start looking for the escape hatch. God's going to give you a way out of this so that you can endure the temptation. You, but you've got to take the hatch, right? If you stand in that, in that conversation and want to go at that person, well, that's not really claiming walking out this promise. This promise is saying, He's going to give you enough strength to see this problem and get out of it. 
That's a promise, and we got to claim that. God will give you the strength to avoid that temptation if we, if, we, if we take that. All right, pray the promises. Failure, God will be victorious. This is the last one I'll quickly talk about. No weapon forged against you will prevail. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. You're going to prevail. You'll be victorious. We could pray these promises. Now, I, I just need to... I need, to, I need to confirm. These promises are activated by faith. Now, I talked a couple months ago about the prosperity gospel and that name it and claim it doesn't work. Remember that? You just can't name and claim prosperity. Just out of the blue, just say, hey, it's mine. Take it. I want it, God. Give it to me. It doesn't work like that. But you know what you can claim? Listen, listen. You know what you can claim? It's his promises. Because if he says he's going to do something, he will. And it's important that you, by faith, you believe. You say, yes, God, I believe that you will do this. And if you believe it by faith, he does it. Because he said he would. This is promise. You with me? God is a rock. He does not change. God is a rock. Nothing can damage him. He is all-powerful. We can trust in him. Okay, also, we are preserved for a purpose. I want to talk quickly about this. We're preserved for a purpose. See, God preserved the people of Israel. He did. And if you read this, the scriptures, but if you know history, God has been preserving his people for like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Here, let me give you a rundown. Preserved his people when there was a famine in the land, and Joseph was said, sent ahead of his parents and his brothers so that he could have food for his brothers, for his parents. Preserved his people while they were in Egypt for 500 years. Preserved his people when they were under the, the yoke of that terrible Pharaoh. Preserved his people during the 10 plagues. Preserved his people through the Red Sea. Preserved his people when they were out in the wilderness and there was no food and no water. Water from a rock, food from the heavens. It's incredible. Preserved his people as they went in and conquered the promised land. Preserved his people during the moral bankruptcy of Judges, the book of Judges. Preserved his people during the reign of Saul. Preserved his people when David did those horrible things. Remember? Man after God's own heart, still messed up big time. Preserved his people during Solomon's idolatry. Preserved his people when the kingdom was split into two, northern and southern kingdom. Preserved his people when the Assyrians came and attacked that northern kingdom and and really wiped them out. Preserved his people when the Babylonians attacked the southern kingdom and brought all that Jewish remnant into exile. Preserved his people, and they kept their Jewish identity when they were in Babylon. And then preserved his people when he brought them out of Babylon with Ezra. And then the rebuilding of the walls. Preserved his people, and maybe you, maybe you haven't heard this or know about this. Preserved his people when the Greeks tried to assimilate them. You remember Antiochus? Epiphanies, right? Try to assimilate the, the Jewish people during the time of the Maccabeans. Preserved his people. Preserved his people, even though they hardened their hearts against their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Preserved his people during the Roman occupation of 8070 and 8140. And the Roman occupations. Even when the Jewish people were being wiped out on Masada, God still had the Jewish remnant. Preserved his people for. 2,000 years of homelessness, 
That's incredible. Amen? How in the world did they keep their ethnic identity when they don't have a homeland? And everybody's out to get them during the Crusades, also during the programs of, of Russia and the Nazi Holocaust. And now you have, 2,000 years later, Jews back in the land. Whoa. That's faith building. That builds my faith. You know what that tells me? When God makes a promise, he keeps it. Against all odds, he'll keep it. Because God is a rock. When we can trust him. So, I'm not defeated or beaten down. Because God continues to sanctify me because he has a purpose. Do you have breath in your lungs right now? You breathing? You need to do a proof of life right now? Are you breathing? <laughs> Would you warm a mirror? Would you fog up a mirror? Okay, then you're alive. Which means God has a purpose for you. And that's what's so exciting. Because he redeems us and yet gives us, and on top of that, a calling. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and every deed. And I love this just set of words here. Powered by faith. Now you got a calling. you got a purpose. You're powered by faith. And you need to stand. You need to speak up. You need to talk to people about Jesus Christ. You need to find, tell, bring. You need to spend time building relationships with people. Disciple your kids and tell them the truth. And tell them that God is a rock and that he can be trusted. We have a purpose. Let's walk it out. Right? Go do it. Go do that purpose. Power faith. Preserve for a purpose. I believe that you're sitting here for a reason. You have a life for a reason. And I'm also convinced that God has a plan. The last thing I want to talk about as I think about these passages is that God has a plan. When we look at our world, it seems rudderless and lost. And if you ask the average believer, do you think our world is going in a good direction or a bad direction? The average believer would say, wow, I, I think it's darkening. I don't think things are right. I think things are going south. But you know what you also find? If you talk to unbelievers... Maybe your unsaved neighbors or family members or coworkers. You know what they'll say? Unbelieving. Hey, is our world going in a good direction or a bad direction? You know what they'll say? They'll say, yeah, something's wrong. I don't know what it is, but something's not right. I mean, I think it's, it's kind of universal right now, at least in the Western world. Universally, collectively saying something's wrong. It's, it's kind of like this. It's like our world is being tossed and turned. Do you ever play with a Rubik's Cube before? I hate this mess. It's like, to my mind, I think this is all messed up. This looks so great, doesn't it? Look at all the colors are just right and everything's orderly. This, ugh. And I'm not smart enough to figure it out, so I don't even know. I know there's some type of algorithm or something. You got to turn here five times, three times this way. Someone could do this. You might be sitting here saying, I could do that in 30 seconds. I could fix that thing. Yeah, there was a teen in the church, and that's what he told me. Or that's dad told me. His dad was bragging. So my son could do that in 30 seconds, fix that one. And I was like, your son can go walk into Lake Michigan. I don't care, okay? <laughs> Come on. 
I don't want to hear that. <laughs> but it, this is what the world can feel like, right? It's getting twisted and turned in all the wrong directions. And in the end, it looks like a, a mess. And it almost feels irreparable. Like, how in the world is this going to get made right? Now, I want you to think about what the disciples were thinking when they saw Jesus Christ dying on the cross. What was going through their mind? Man, our hopes, our dreams, everything that we were planning, it's all gone. Their life probably felt like this. Amen? It's Saturday. And they're bummed. Probably Michigan State fans. You know, Saturday and they're bummed. <laughs> it's a joke. It was Saturday and they were feeling so, so empty. Like the whole thing has just been completely messed up. But here's what's so cool. Sunday, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And everything was right again. All it took was one miracle. Everything's right. Went from this to this. Man, I'm telling you, this world, ooh, it's bad. It's bad. The liars are the loudest. They are. What's right is wrong. Wrong is right. Can't trust anybody. I mean, maybe, maybe locally, but is there one politician who thinks of his people? I mean, are you feeling that? And I'm like, man, where is this world going? And I, I know it looks like this, but I'm telling you, one trumpet blow, one trumpet, it'll start the tribulation, and everything will happen in succession. And before you know it, Christ is riding that horse driving out the nations, and everything will be right. Because the Lord has a plan. Amen? Amen? It doesn't need some braggy kid to figure it out. He's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of it for us. Okay? Your life might appear to be out of order, but trust and follow God's plan and watch how everything falls into place. I mean, we just have to trust him and watch, and he will walk it out. Turn here, flip there, and everything starts to fall into place. And before you know it, you see the hand of God working in your life. Amen? Amen. Okay. I wanted, you know, it's so interesting how the Lord works. I, I, I was planning on talking through a prophet, and I settled on Obadiah. But this was before all that mess in Israel. I was planning on this, you know, a while ago. And then all it, all this mess happens, and I thought, okay, Lord, I see what you want. You want your people to understand that there are promises made to Israel, and we, we as believers in the word and people of the book, have to stand with Israel. We have to understand there's so many lies out there, but you know what? We always know this is true. Israel is God's people, and his calling and his gift are irrevocable. Amen? And because of the truth that we see in the Old Testament, we know that God is for us and he will keep his promises for you. Amen? All right, I want to pray for us. Father, we just know that as we look into your word, we just see confirmed over and over and over that it is true. It is always true. 
And then you, in a miraculous way, are just constantly doing the unbelievable. Not only are you doing that on a global scale, and we see happening with Israel, but you're also doing it in our own lives. We see you working things out. We see that we've been preserved for a purpose, just like the people of Israel. We see that you have a plan, and you're going to work out this plan. We, we pray your promises, and we claim them. We know that all things work for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. This is good news. So I pray that we could walk out of here, which is such a, a confidence put into us by your Holy Spirit, such a confidence that we are on the right side and that your return is imminent and that at any point we're going to see something that looks completely messed up made right because you are the God of order, not confusion. And you'll bring everything to exactly the, the appointed, appointed end. And we trust you. We trust you. We as your people, we trust you. You are a rock. And we anchor ourselves to you. Help us to live this way, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.